What's your exit strategy? I'm gonna walk right out of the front gate. May I see your invitation, please? Sure. Here's my invitation. Welcome to the much-delayed episode number five of Central Intelligence Cinema. Things in the world took a rather extreme turn right after this one was recorded, and so the episode got put on the back burner just a little bit as we adjusted to what will be the new normal for at least the next few months. This episode also doesn't have an intel report as we felt that, given all that's happened, we're saving that for a special standalone episode again. But for now, the CIC is set to charge forward from an acceptable distance. Jason and I won't be going anywhere. Literally. Anyway, get ready for the silliness that is True Lies. Take it away, Pierce. Beg your pardon, forgot to knock. Welcome to the CIC, initiating security clearance. My name is Napoleon Solo. Bond. James Bond. Ethan Hunt. Felix Lane. Ilya Kuriaki. Identity confirmed. Welcome to Central Intelligence Cinema, a podcast dedicated to spy movies and secret agent pop culture. Your mission, should you decide to accept it. Remember, nothing ever goes according to plan. Tom, what do you think you're doing? Keeping the British hand on, sir. You expect me to talk? Yeah, baby! (laughs) Recorded from a secret underground lair underneath a computer software company? Sure! It's the Central Intelligence Cinema Podcast. I'm Jason Greenberg, and with me, as always, the hairy tasker to my gib, <laughs> Ben Esslinger. Thank you, Jason. I'm here to talk about True Lies. Yeah, it's going to be great. It's going to be the most fantastic it's movie fantastic. that we ever saw in entire life. Oh my God, it's going to be fantastic. It's, if only that was the movie that I'd actually watched. Exactly. It's a terrible movie. It's not the best movie it's ever. It's not the best movie ever. It's, it's not a tumor. It's not even a snow cone maker. Yeah, but it's definitely not going to get me to get into the chopper. <laughs> <laughs> I win. Ladies and gentlemen, we are going to jump the shit out of this shark today amen brother i have a killer tom arnold impression said nobody ever (laughs) oh boy we got a humdinger of a review today man yeah buddy true lies holy shit (laughs) is this even a spy movie for about 30 minutes that's it it's it's 30 minutes of spy movie 30 30 minutes of rom-com and 30 minutes of straight-up Arnold Schwarzenegger action, action movie. movie. Yeah, exactly. That's it. It's not really... <laughs> you know, and we didn't realize that when we decided to do this movie. It was well, only... Well, <laughs> it's it's kinda, tacitly kinda. a spy movie. Yeah. Right? Okay, sure. Yeah. It's just... It devolves... There is a, literally a dividing line in this movie. Holy shit. Okay, wait. Let me just go back. We'll go back. We'll do the rounds. Let's go back, and then we'll come back for it. Yes, we do that. From James Cameron, director of Aliens and T2, Arnold Schwarzenegger. It's a Soviet MERF 6. I married Rambo. Jamie Lee Curtis. Have you ever killed anyone? Yeah, but they were all bad. True lies. What can I say? So, yes, released in 1994. Holy crap, I was living in a dorm then. (laughs) 1994. 
directed by James Cameron, known for blockbusters like Aliens, Terminator 2, and The Abyss, and then some other movies I'd really rather not fucking talk about, to be quite honest. No, that's fair. (laughs) I just, I try and block out everything that James Cameron did after this movie, uh, because that's when his love affair with CG begins, and everything after that suffers. Even, even Titanic, which, yes, he made a shit ton of money on. Even Avatar, which, yes, he made a shit ton of money on. It's just so drenched in CG, and mm. he kind of fell into the whole George Lucas kind of booby trap. Well, that explains bit. why there was Titanic and then nothing for nearly 10 years. Maybe more than 10 years. Yeah. So he had spent, as he said, I had to spend all the time, uh, you know, developing the technology to make the movie that I wanted to make. Right. Okay, George. Yeah, exactly. He pulled a George Lucas. Yeah. And, uh, now, to be and fair, for though, the worse. I don't know. I think to be fair, I think his vision was realized a lot better than George's oh, was. No. Yes, that's not what I meant. I meant basically it left him for worse. It totally did because he couldn't be a creative filmmaker anymore once he had the ability to push a button and get what he wants. Right. Exactly. I mean, I think about the genius of Aliens. Mm-hmm. To this day, that is still easily my favorite Alien movie. Oh, for sure. It is so good. I mean. Well, and I love The Abyss. Yeah. Terminator 2. Not all three of those are certified classics. Absolutely. And not to mention the first Terminator. Oh, that's right. He did the first one, too. <laughs> yeah, exactly. When he when he's forced to be creative about his filmmaking, he's great. Yeah. When he has all the money in the world and he wants to create new technology just to make something. Yeah. No. No. Well, again, George Lucas. And so. I'm still pissed off at James Cameron for ruining what could have been a great movie in uh, Battle Angel Alita, because that is one of my favorite Japanese animations ever. But I digress. We're not here to talk about that. We're here to talk about spy movies. So let's well, just which move. Which we can agree this is not, right. except for 30 minutes. <laughs> except for 30 minutes. So um, Cameron does have a writing credit in this, but it's essentially a script that Arnold Schwarzenegger brought to him, which was originally a French movie called La Totale. Which, by the way, from the write-up on IMDb, sounds like it's a superior movie to this in every way. (laughs) And then uh, the director of photography was Russell Carpenter, who had previously done The Wonder Years. What would you do if I sang out of tone? (laughs) Would you stand up and walk out on me? Maybe. (laughs) Um, The Lawnmower Man, Pet Cemetery 2. This was actually the movie that probably got him bigger gigs, because after this, he shot Titanic just three years after this movie. So Probably no nepotism involved there. No, not at all. Regardless, I was not, the photography was not notable. There was nothing to shout about. He shot a movie. It was there was not much style. It was just he shot a movie. The lighting was okay. Yeah, things were framed okay, but it wasn't truly notable about mm-mm, it. Mm-mm. By the numbers, it did well. Budget was an estimated 115 million. Now, granted, that's 1994 dollars. Yeah, and brought in a worldwide box office of 378 million in oh. 1994, which is probably like a billion dollars. Adjusted for inflation. So it probably paid for itself. (laughs) Just a little bit, you know. Um, (laughs) There was a sequel in the works for a while. In fact, a script had been made for it, except there had been some conflicting opinions about it. And then 9-11 happened, which put a damper on the idea of the movie. Cameron went quoted as saying this awful quote, which I almost don't want to repeat. In this day and age, 
terrorism isn't funny anymore, which begs the question, was it ever funny? Hey, I got to, you know, I'll tell you one thing, and I'll probably touch on it again as we go forward, but there was a lot of uh, outreach from um, Middle Eastern groups about this film and how it portrayed people of Middle Eastern descent as being bad guys and so on and so forth. And it feels like he really went out of his way to be apologetic about it. In fact, mm-hmm. I saw something in IMDb that there was, and I didn't see that at the end of the movie, but there's actually basically an apology at the end of the credits saying, we didn't mean to offend anybody, is what it translates to. Right. But. Which sort of is conflicting. It's like, okay, right. so we're going to make this movie that portrays Arabic people as every stereotype that there is. Right. And on top of it, we're going to add the fact that they're like bumbling villains. Right. That oh. don't know how to operate the weaponry that they just purchased. Right. And let's not forget the fact that we had the token Middle Eastern person on the good guys team so that we could show that we're trying to be fair and balanced. Right. Which, I don't know. Yeah. it's You've got Mr. Sulu on the Enterprise, but he's not in command of the ship. Right? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, I don't know. There's a lot about that that I just, I felt like... It's all very 1994 to me. Correct. It's all very culturally 1994. There are a lot of things in here that haven't caught up to where we're at now. No, and yet it seems like Middle Eastern terrorism is still the bad guy Yeah. in modern cinema. Sure. They're portrayed more sympathetically, I think, than this movie, which was really just, you know cut out people. Well, and that's the thing. Machine it's, guns. Uh, this is this is definitely more broad stroke whereas now I think they do a better job. They're not doing a perfect job, but they do a better job now of not where every person of Middle Eastern descent is a horrible right. Well, <laughs> you know, terrorist or whatever or an extremist. Yeah, I could go on a huge huge diatribe about Hollywood and how it picks its bad guys. <laughs> um, but we don't have time for that in this podcast, nor Indeed. does anybody want to listen to it. So yeah. I'll get off of my soapbox for now and come back later, perhaps. Okay. Okay, Scott. <laughs> <laughs> uh, music. Hardly worth mentioning. Um, Was there music in this movie? Well, there's not There's not a soundtrack. <laughs> there's a score. It's terrible. And it's so generic. It's... Yeah. I mean, holy cow, is it bad? There, there's nothing to it. Yeah. It's it's just, it's so minimal and it's just, yeah, inconsequential. Which for a Cameron picture seems very strange. And, you know, I don't even, who, it wasn't James Horner that did the music for this, I'm assuming. It was Brad Fiedel. Okay. So nobody, anybody's Brad ever Fiedel. heard of. Yeah. I mean, just. Painfully typical of that late 80s, early 90s action movie. Not notable, didn't really have any consequence on how the movie played out. Which Which really shows you what James Cameron thinks about music, apparently. (laughs) When you let him take the range, you get the soundtrack from the original Terminator. I have a synthesizer. I think I'm John Carpenter. Good job. I mean, I did like the score that he used in Aliens. Yeah, that was James Horner. Oh, okay. So he got somebody with some talent. Yeah, James Horner. You know, the guy who did Titanic in Star Trek II, The Wrath of Khan. The best Star Trek movie ever. Yeah. So there you go. (laughs) (laughs) So getting into uh, the Bond girls and the Bond guys and all that good stuff, all the actors. We have Arnold. I don't know how you pronounce his. I I wanted to learn how to pronounce his middle name, but I don't know. Arnold Alois Schwarzenegger. If it's German or... Austrian German, you pronounce everything. So it's probably 
Alois. Alois. Arnold Alois Schwarzenegger. Ah, Harry Tasker. Harry Tasker. That means he's a Tasker with a lot of hair. <laughs> Harry Tasker. I can't take serious any character whose name is Harry. Yeah, they should have just it's gone really... with Harry Rehnquist. His cover name was much more effective than his actual name. I agree, actually. I actually thought, like, flip that. Like, his cover name should have been Harry Tasker. Because Harry Tasker sounds more like a spy name. Harry Rehnquist sounds but more like a Schwarzenegger it's name. it's so corny. Yeah, oh, my God. And the movie's not. <laughs> well, okay. There you go. I mean, this whole movie <laughs> is just so corny. <laughs> So then we have Jamie Lee Curtis as Helen Tasker. Uh, we've got, you know, late 80s dreamboat Tia Carrera as Juno Skinner. <laughs> Dreamweaver. <laughs> swing, swing, swing. <laughs> I can, that's all I can think of when I think of Tia Carrera is Wayne's World. Wayne's World. Yeah. So then we've got Albert Gibson, a.k.a. Gibb, played by Tom Arnold. Honestly, best part of this movie. He kind of is, despite the fact that there are a couple cringeworthy, just utterly cringeworthy acting moments from him. But he does the funny lines, he does really well. Absolutely. It's just the dramatic stuff that is awful. It's just he's such a bad actor when he's forced to actually act. Well, he's, <laughs> he's got he's got a lane. Right. Just gotta <laughs> stay in it. And they had good chemistry together. Oh, absolutely. They which had great seems very surprising. From Schwarzenegger. Right. Because I don't really think in terms of he had good chemistry with this actor or didn't have good chemistry right. with this actor. Most of his characters are very stoic. Sure. And not very emotional. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, even like in Kindergarten Cop, he had good chemistry with um, Pamela, uh, whatever her name is, that played his partner. Sure. You know, I never really thought in terms of what kind of chemistry does Schwarzenegger have in a movie? Right. Um, but if you watch them, and I start thinking back to some of the other movies I've seen him in, he's got better than some and and not so good with others. Right. But there or like was twins. Yeah, well, yeah. but He's got great chemistry in Twins he, with Danny DeVito. Danny DeVito, but honestly, Danny DeVito carried that movie. Oh, absolutely. Just like Tom Arnold kind of carried this one. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I hate to say it, because you think about like music artists often their best music is when they're miserable. Mm-hmm. I kind of wonder if that's the way Tom Arnold sort of... Because Tom Arnold was in the middle of a divorce when they shot this movie. Right. With Roseanne. Roseanne Barr, yeah. And he was going through some shit because even some of the lines that are in this movie, they literally pulled them right out of his life. And he brought them right in and Cameron was like, that's funny, let's use it. Right. Well, and it certainly fed the the whole sort of, oh, it happens to everybody, Harry. Right. You just, know, and you're like, just sort of the two, half two on the nose. Yeah, it's just a little oof. Yeah, you know, it, ouchy. It's kind of <laughs> like when we were talking about with Man from Uncle. Some of those scenes in this movie were too good for this movie. Yeah, yeah. You know, some a little too genuine, almost. Right, and like if it had been in a real movie about that kind of thing, maybe Tom Arnold shined in that movie <laughs> because he was channeling all that angst. But he's trying to be the comic relief, and you can't be the comic relief and talk about the dark crap in your life. Right. Unless you're on stage. Right. (laughs) So then we've got Simon, played by the late, great Bill Paxton. He is so good in this. (laughs) Also the other good part of this movie. He's so funny. He's so good. He just, he plays that schmuck to the hilt. Could you imagine if Bill Paxton had played Gibb? 
Oh, that would be and they good put too. Tom Arnold as oh. Simon. <laughs> would this movie have gone a different direction and it actually would've. been much better than it, it turned might. out? Yeah, yeah, because well, and then on top of it, then you have a physically capable guy playing Gib, right? Who can act? Who can act? Who can act? Yeah, right. And Tom and it's Arnold, not just a comedian, right? And, and Tom, Tom Arnold, Arnold would have been completely in his lane in that role. Absolutely! Holy cow! That would have been a casting move of genius. You suck. You belong James in Cameron. movies. Do you, be- I? you belong making movies, yeah, man. I do I have a voice for movies? <laughs> uh, then we have uh, Dana Tasker, played by a very young Eliza Dushku. And I will say too, I had no idea she was even in this movie until we went back and and watched it again. I did. It. I, I, for some reason in my head, I always think she's older than she actually is in it. Um, and I think she, well, she plays somebody older. older than, yeah, exactly. And I think that's probably why it throws me off. Right. But, um, she doesn't look anything like herself. No, not at all. Like, I'm just like, wow, that I had no idea, no idea until I went back and saw it again. Uh, then we've got Art Malik who plays Salim Abu Aziz, the main bad guy. Again, Middle Eastern stereotypes in this are just, yeesh. Yeah. And I feel like this guy... I've seen him in other things. I have, too. And yeah. he has a heck of a lot more range than he was even needed to use in this movie. Yeah, for sure. We've got Grant Heslov as uh, Faisal, who's pretty good, too, actually. I like his character, you know, despite well, the fact that he's a token. Yeah, and at the beginning, he was the he was not only the, the token good Middle Eastern character, but also the computer hacker. Right. Which I'm like, Ugh, just like, shoot me in the head. <laughs> yeah, you can't just give him something a little more original. But he has that great moment at the end. Yeah, when he comes, he becomes a total badass <laughs> at the end. Papal, papal, look at me. I'm a spy. Yeah, <laughs> like he comes into his own at the end, at least. And then Charlton fucking Heston <laughs> as the M character, or actually the Nick Fury character. Yes. As Spencer Trilby, the head of Omega Sector. Which isn't S.H.I.E.L.D. in any way, shape, or form. No, not at all. What, what, <laughs> where did you get that idea? The eye patch and the scar and everything that makes him basically look exactly like Nick Fury? Yeah, no, no. At least he wasn't chomping on a cigar. Yeah, right? <laughs> and he wasn't wearing like a jumpsuit with a... With a little white leather holster? No, yeah. no, he wasn't doing that. <laughs> so, tropes. Not even sure where to begin. The movie's a, a sat. I don't know what. Again, I don't know what this movie is. Is it a satire? Is it supposed? Is it taking itself seriously? I don't even remember. Like I can't remember back because you know, like even though I was alive when this movie came out, 1994 was a long time ago. Sure. Well, I'm gonna say this: if you look at the fact that this was a French comedy, it all makes a lot more sense. Yeah. This. Totally has the ring of French comedy, where it starts off very serious, and I'm a spy, and this, that, and the other. I think in the French version, it's something about his kids and not his wife, which is the change that they made. Okay. Um, but he finds out his kids are up to no good, which they kind of include with Dana. Sure. But then uses all the resources of the spy agency to find out what's going on with the kids, oh, God. not the wife. Right. But I don't know if you've ever watched a French comedy that... Didn't have Jerry Lewis in it, no. but they all kind of feel this way. Where it's take something out of its normal thing and make it ridiculous. Make it ridiculous, exactly. And I again, I've never seen the French version. I can just see the storyline. So essentially, what I'm getting out of this is that there was a major thing that was lost in translation. I think so. Essentially, it was 
presented to American audiences as a legitimate action movie when it probably should have never been presented as a legitimate action movie. Exactly. It should have been presented as a pure comedy movie. Right. But you can't have a movie like that with Arnold Schwarzenegger in it. No, not at all. I mean, even Twins and Kindergarten Cop, which are about as close as he got, at the end of the day, they were still kind of funny action movies. They were funny spy movies. They were funny action movies. Right. So maybe that's the the whole problem here. It's it's a French comedy that was translated into English in America in a, with an Austrian actor. <laughs> that's what this movie is. Wow. Wow. Honestly, you can't spend too much time thinking about it. It will drive you bonkers. Yeah, your head will just explode. <laughs> but yeah, I mean it's got every it's got every spy trope, you know, because it's supposed to. It's a sound yeah. like it's supposed to be funny. It pokes at it. It's cliche for cliche's sake. You've got Arnie taking off the scuba deer scuba gear and revealing a tuxedo yep. underneath, terrorists stealing nukes, commandos on skis. I mean, it's it's got all those things. So anyway. <laughs> So moving on, there's no pre-title, and the title graphics on top of that are really just nothing. Like, like tacked on. Yeah. Just like they asked an intern to make them. Well, they probably didn't have any money by the time they were done. Well, yeah, to get Arnie to do it and uh, all the special effects with the Harrier and the... Yeah, well, actually getting real Harriers. Well. Y- you know, and I think they got those at a bargain considering the price I saw they paid to get those uh, those Harriers in the movie. $100,000. Oh, yeah. For like what? 3 days of shooting. That seems like a bargain. Is that is that what you found? Yeah. Wow. Jeez. <laughs> oh, so let's just get into it. Um the movie opens up on Lake Chapeau, Switzerland, and we've got this big fancy party at a big estate. It's right off the lake. It appears to be heavily guarded and they sort of show that there's a gate under the gate. It's an underwater gate, and you see somebody in a scuba gear, and he's, I wonder who that could be. And he's cutting through the gate underwater with a... I always thought that was weird when you, you use a blowtorch underwater to cut something. Yeah, but I mean, I, I know it's a thing that exists. Right. But, so Well, it's probably a CO2 laser. <laughs> of course it is. Made in Russia. Exactly. Because the Russians, they make that shit better. Hell yeah. Um, so he cuts through the gate and makes his way just outside the the big estate building or castle, whatever you want to call it. And of course, it's Arnold as he breaks through the ice with a knife in his hand. So he gets out of the water and he takes off his scuba gear. And his, he's got, of course, he has his perfectly... Perfectly pressed tux, perfect, perfectly coiffed hair. Right. And then he splashes a little cologne on, you That's know, right. just as one little final touch. And then you hear Tom Arnold, aka Gibb, in the control van. And and I just have to bring this up. Faisal at this time is outside the van peeing. Just very American storytelling here. Heck yeah. <laughs> so Gibb is in his ear with a little bug thing and he's directs him past the guards. So that he can kind of sneak his way in. Uh, we very quickly find out that he's multilingual. He uh, uses a bit of French to sort of talk to the chef as he's walking through the kitchen, acting like he belongs there, like he's supposed to be there. Right. And he's like, this is all crap. Take it back. You're, too or, much garlic. Yeah. Da, 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 da. Yeah, just acting like he's supposed to be there or whatever. He walks into the main hall and the blue Danube is playing. Of course it is because cliche. Right. We might as well not even talk about tropes. What we should be talking about is cliches in this movie. Yeah, that's, it's not it's even just, a trope. It's just one after the other. Yeah, it really is. So then we get a little bit of him talking in Arabic to show that he speaks that too. 
as he bumps into these two chic type fellows. Mm -hmm. And he says like, oh, good to see you again in Arabic. And then he turns his head and we see his target, uh, Khalid, and the lovely Tia Carrera also there. So from there, he sneaks upstairs into this outside balcony. And then he climbs up into the secret room on the third floor where there's a computer, which of course he knows exactly where that is. And wait for it. Windows 3.1. Wow. With Woo! with Arabic lettering. Oh, it's fantastic. It's just spot on. <laughs> <laughs> the graphics were excellent. <laughs> it's like they had source material from 1993. <laughs> so they hook up the modem and... Modem. Yeah, I know. You, you know what would have been great, though, if you would have actually heard... <laughs> that would have been so... <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Faisal's like, uh, these are encrypted, so it'll just be a few minutes for encrypted files. Uh-huh. Yeah, In just, 1994. Just a, yeah, <laughs> just a couple minutes. We're going to get those over the internet. Well, wait a minute. <laughs> in 94. I'm trying to think about what the internet was. In 94, I specifically remember being, I was on the internet in 94, but it was via Unix commands to navigate, and it was all text-based. It was no graphic interface whatsoever. Really? <laughs> <laughs> so anyway, Arnie leaves that room, and he sort of plays the, I'm the dumb party guest who's looking for the bathroom upstairs bit. In perfect Arabic. Yes, the I love how the how the subtitles say in perfect Arabic. <laughs> just so you, just in case you didn't know, this is perfect Arabic he's speaking. <laughs> well, that sets the tone for the rest of the movie right there. It just tells you everything you need to know about this movie. Right. The fact that they put that adjective in there saying perfectly speaks it. Right. Just tells you you're just to assume that he's going to do everything perfectly because this is that type of movie. Right. He is the perfect action hero. Leave any suspension of you know disbelief, like any you know. <laughs> yeah, I, you can tell that he fired the joke writers on the writing staff. Uh, Cameron did, and decided to write all the jokes himself because they're not funny. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, after he speaks perfect Arabic to the guard, and he goes downstairs. Of course, the guard tells the rest of the goons about this guy. And then, of course, Arnie just perfectly times sneakily bending down to look at the big piece of art, which is just funny for me to say sneaky and Arnie in the same. Yeah. Because Arnold is not sneaky. <laughs> um, <laughs> so at that point, Harry meets Juno and he uses his cover name and does it all Bond style. He's like, Renquist, Harry Renquist. <laughs> it's great. This is Persian, isn't it? <laughs> it's just so unbelievable when he's spouting that stuff, when he's like, I believe it's Persian. Oh, I love yeah. this piece. And it's he's like... trying to be all smooth while he does it. This is a Persian piece, isn't it? <laughs> oh, I love the period. <laughs> it's... How did this fly? <laughs> How did this ever fly? <laughs> so yeah, so right after she says who she is, you see Gib in the van Looking up on the internet in 1994. In a van. In a van. No Wi-Fi. Looking up who Juno Skinner is. And of course, they find out that she's an arts and antiquities dealer and uh, that she specializes in Persian, which is why Arnold then says, oh, yes, I believe it's Persian. You know, it's like, okay. I love the period. (laughs) 
Also the semicolon. <laughs> like it. They are particularly fond of the exclamation point. <laughs> so... Uh, from there, one of the guards outside sees that the ice was broken, which is very astute, but I'll take it. So he alerts all the other guards and like, oh, we got an intruder. This is bad <laughs> or something. <laughs> and so from there, what does he decide to do? Tango. Yeah, hold me or let tango. <laughs> so, so he goes out and tangos with Tia Carrera, which fun fact, Arnold did take dance lessons and rehearse them for six months because he was worried that he was going to look bad and that he wanted to make sure it looked as good as Al Pacino's dancing in Scent of a Woman, which came out two years earlier. Okay, so here's a couple things about that. First of all, you're not Al Pacino. Second of all, Al Pacino didn't even do all that well. No, but he just said he wanted to do better then. But since you're not Al Pacino to begin with, you're you're way down from getting there, Ernie. <laughs> and I'm going to say right now, Tia Carrera sold that tango. Oh, yeah. All Arnold did was stand around. Yeah. She made it look like a tango. He was right. like, I'm going to stand here while you dance around me. Right. Exactly. Drag you around because you only weigh like five pounds. Right. It's pretty easy for me to do it. All she had to do, well, she basically just was sexy. Right. And that sort of distracts you from the fact that Arnold is not exactly light on his feet, no matter how hard he tries. Exactly. It worked. I'm just. <laughs> yeah. All of the dance training <clears throat> in the world. Is not going to make Arnold Schwarzenegger successfully tango better than, than Al Pacino. Al Pacino. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, the guards start circling. And so, of course, at this point, Harry is sort of steering them back and forth, kind of leading away from wherever the guards are. Right. Which actually was kind of funny. Yeah. I mean, that, that part, again, the first 30 minutes of this movie is easily the most enjoyable and the least disappointing. Right. So, like, a lot of the elements in this first 30 minutes... Not horrid. Right, because that's the spy movie part of it. Right. Which, yeah. So anyway. <laughs> so in the meantime, we find out Faisal has gotten the files open. So Gibb is yelling at Harry to get out of there. At that point, Harry smoothly walks out of the main hall with Juno. And then Gibb has to say, ditch the bitch. I'm just like... Oh, 90s male chauvinism. Yeah. Oof. Well, it's like the scene where... Uh, uh, Faisal is sitting there and he's like, I've got you. I've got this. I got my hands down your pants and I'm going for it. He's like, just shut up and do the thing. There was so much rage in that little line from Tom Arnold. I'm just like, ooh, bottling up a little bit there, Tommy boy. Yeah. That was probably your most believable scene right there. (laughs) 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 So, uh, so he makes his way out the door. He says his goodbyes to Juno. I think he gets like his her number or something. I think she gives him a card before he goes. Yeah. And then he makes his way out the door, but he gets stopped by a guard. And so that's when he's like, he's like, oh yeah, here's my pass or whatever. And then click, boom. That's right. And sets off the bomb that he had <laughs> set. my he, invitation. Here's my... <laughs> now I'm getting out of here. Yeah, I got to go now. Which of course, at that point... Tom Arnold is losing his shit because he was just supposed to sneak out of there. It was never supposed to be some sort of espionage thing where they wanted to like blow the thing up. They just wanted to get the information and get out without being noticed. So at this point, the mission is kind of blown, mostly. I did think it was really funny when those dogs ran after him and he like kind of knocked them both into each other. He's like, sit, 
<laughs> or stay that's what he said stay <laughs> so so then he's running away from all these guys coming after him stopping to shoot them and stuff and then of course we get more cliches we get commandos on skis we get guys on uh snowmobiles the whole thing can i just say arnold schwarzenegger looks ridiculous when he runs and doesn't have a rifle in his hands yeah and i noticed did you see how like he kind of looks really clumsy when he's reloading the gun. Yeah. The pistol. That that whole scene where he's shooting did not look like something I've seen Schwarzenegger. Because he usually looks like he's super under control with firearms. Right. But when he's running, his left arm is kind of dangly. It was I'm, one of the clunkiest moments for him physically. Which right. is really saying something. Like, that's odd. Yeah. And I mean, there was a lot of stunt double work in that. You could see the guy was wearing the oh. hairpiece, but they did a lot of... He was in shadow. So... I mean, it was a good opportunity to block the stunt guy because it was at night. Right. Um, but you can tell when Arnold Schwarzenegger runs because his body's not designed to do that. <laughs> and I'm just like, I would never accuse Schwarzenegger of being effeminate in any way. Right. But he didn't look terribly butch running down that hill. I just thought he looked clunky. Yeah. Like he well, just looked kind of uh, like, I don't know, just uncoordinated or something. Yeah. And like I said, maybe he needs to have a fully automatic weapon in his hand. I've seen him run in Predator. He yeah. looks pretty badass when he's running oh, in he Predator. Looks, and Commando, too. Right. But he had rifles, not pistols. So right. I don't know. I wonder if he's like, after this, I, I'm never going to carry a pistol again. <laughs> I just have to carry an AK-47. I or, need a missile launcher. Yeah, get me a grenade launcher. <laughs> also, did we hear a Wilhelm scream in there? It was like a weird truncated one, but it was there. Yeah. I don't know if it was an actual one. Maybe they didn't want to pay for the actual Wilhelm scream. <laughs> and they just like... Mimicked one or something. Do you have to pay for that? I'm pretty sure you can get that on a standard special effects reel somewhere. <laughs> I have no idea. <laughs> Who knows? Hey, you know what? If Steven Spielberg is using it, he probably bought it the rights to it. That's right. And now he's probably selling it out to other people. It's just him and George. Yeah. They bought it together. They own it all. <laughs> Bastards. Yeah. So, yeah. So, Gibbon and Faisal pick him up, and they're slipping and sliding all over the road. It's cartoonish how much, oh, there's so much ice, and there's just, the truck's just everywhere. I'm like, oh, come on. Like, you don't have to go that far with it. It felt to me like in an actual spy movie, which this is not. Right. That would have been an interesting element had they not overplayed it so slapsticky. Yeah. You could have built some real tension with the fact that can they, are these guys going to get there in time? Meanwhile, it's just like doo, 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 yeah, doo, doo, and it's just so slide whistle, yeah, over the top. Should we should we start like a slide whistle meter on this movie? <laughs> Every time we come to one of those, you can just put it up. Yeah, it really <laughs> holy cow. So yeah, so they pick them up and done. That's a, you know apparently. Oh, I, I do like though. Right before they drive away. There's like two final bad guys on skis coming down. Ah, he's like, could you move over to the like, left a little bit? He shoots the, like shoots the gun right in his right in front of his face, right in front of his face inside the car. Like, so not only has he blinded him, but everybody in there is deaf now. Yeah, <laughs> I'm just like, wow. It's like I don't even own a firearm, much less barely ever shot one, and I know better than that. Right. <laughs> well, and this. Because it's a spy movie, it really does feel like this whole scene should have been before the credits. Yeah, absolutely. Because it was a perfect break point when they start up the next scene. Right. 
I mean, it and really you could have done a Bond esque uh, credit. You didn't especially, even have to go fully Bond esque credit sequence. Especially if you're gonna be cliche like this, right? Why not have a pre-title sequence and just play that cliche to the hilt? Right. It's like Cameron didn't quite want to make a James Bond movie, but it says in the IMDb notes that Arnold has always wanted to play James Bond and make a James Bond movie. So Arnold could have been like, yeah, I don't know, I think we should put this at the beginning over here. <laughs> And then we'll have like the naked silhouetted girls and I'll be turning around. And James is like, dial it back, Ernie. Remember when you didn't have a career before me? Just dial it back. I'll, oh, damn it. I'll make the movies. You just act in them, okay? Fine, James Cameron. I'll do it. So we're now we're back in the U.S. Yeah, now we're back in the U.S. We find out very quickly that Harry leads a very normal suburban family life at home where they have no idea that he's a spy. They just think he's a computer salesman schmo of a guy. Yeah, because um, all those computer salesmen that... They you know, all look jacked like... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> look like they could have been a competitive bodybuilder in their 20s. <laughs> right. I know like tens of those guys. <laughs> exactly. So we get this little scene where Gib drops Harry off at his house. And it's very, it's very odd couple almost like, oh, well, don't forget this. Don't mm-hmm. forget this. You know, and he's, he's giving him back all his civilian traveler items, like the correct passport, his receipts, postcards, all sorts of proof that he went on this very straight laced business vacation. And then of course the little cherry on top is as he's walking towards his house, Gibbs like, uh, 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 you forgetting something? And it's his wedding ring. <laughs> He's right. like, oh, thank you. I forgot my wedding ring. <laughs> so, but that's such a good scene. It is. The chemistry. That's when you see that chemistry between them two. Right. Because you could actually believe those guys could have worked together for 10, 15 years as a team. Yeah. And that he was basically Arnold's handler. Yeah. And that's what a handler is supposed to do. Right. It's just so silly. It's just <laughs> the whole thing is so silly. So then the next day we get a very super normal wake-up routine at, at Harry's house. Very suburban, just morning coffee's running. Everybody's getting dressed for work. Dana doesn't give a shit about her parents. No. She's just a teenager who just wants to be a teenager. It's really funny when... <laughs> so another thing that sort of speaks to that that chemistry between Tom Arnold and Schwarzenegger is when Gibb comes in without knocking on the door. He just kind of walks in, starts making coffee, makes coffee for Harry. Right. And then and then Dana walks in. Dana's not even affected. So obviously this is like a normal thing right. for Gibb to just come in and just be there. Well, she's stealing money out of his coat. Right. So right? obviously he's like Uncle Gibb. Right. You know? <laughs> and I love that line is so funny. <laughs> for all the faults of this movie, there are some there is a couple really good lines in this. And she comes into the kitchen and she's wearing that helmet. Boy, I remember the first time I got shot out of a cannon. <laughs> he had to have ad-libbed that one. Because oh, there's no way Cameron wrote that line. <laughs> it's so good. It's so like out of left field. I was so not ready for it. Yeah, and he had a couple of really good ones like that in the movie. Yeah. Where you could just tell they were off the cuff and Cameron's like, we're keeping that one. Yeah. And he goes really dark a couple times, which... <laughs> <laughs> Again, that's where his head was at. Right, exactly. So yeah, so when he does come in, when Gibb comes into the house, he sets up that secret camera that looks like a pack of cigarettes. And looks not at all suspicious sitting on their fireplace mantle. Right, especially when nobody in the house smokes. Exactly. So then Harry comes into the kitchen, he gets his coffee from Gibb, and then Gibb's like, hey, check out these glasses. And he puts the glasses on, he can see what the camera's seeing, and... And, and then he sees Dana stealing from out of Gibbs, 
coat pocket or whatever. And then he runs after Dana. He's like, ah, what are you doing? You know, whatever. Dana, get back here. <laughs> and she hops on her boyfriend's motorcycle or whatever. She's supposed to be, what, 14 in it, I think? Tom yeah, Mano she's says. supposed to be 14, but she's actually 12, which is and she's weird. she's dating somebody that's old enough to at least drive a motorcycle? Yeah. And by 14, she's still in middle school. And that dude is in high school? A little icky. Yeah. I, I just feel like you could have bumped her age up two more years. Yeah, at least for the character. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Yeah. So she takes off and then you get this great scene act. Like there are, it's not even a scene. It's a montage where they're going to work. And first it starts in the car and you get all this great chemistry between Arnie and Tom Arnold where Terry's sort of complaining that Dana's stealing from Gibb and how did I raise a daughter? That's not be... the way I raised her. Right, exactly. And meanwhile, Gibbs sort of pointing out that he's a terrible dad and he's never there. Right. <laughs> well, like how how does he point out? It's Prince and Madonna that are raising his kids for or him. Guns and Roses. Guns is and one Roses. Of... Axel Rose. Axel Rose and Madonna, and Madonna are raising his child. He's like, how are you going to compete with that? You know, <laughs> it's just like I was like, wow, cultural references from 1994. <laughs> Holy shit. Um. So they're making their way into the Omega Sector building, quote, the last line of defense. And we get that. There is one line in there that I was just like, I covered my mouth when he said it because he's talking about like what she's using the money for. Like, yeah. is it drugs? Is it this? And then like right before they walk into the door down that white hallway, he's like, she's probably stealing money to pay for an abortion. I'm like, oh my God, are you kidding me? Pretty fabulous. Oh, <laughs> like I said, you, you, you hire Tom Arnold, you get Tom Arnold. Yeah, no shit. You know, but you know what's cool? You should talk about the entrance into the secret portion of the facility. Oh yeah, right. You get that obvious Total Recall reference when they're both walking through the X-ray scanner. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, which I'm okay with. It was sure. funny, particularly Tom Arnold because he's got a bit of the belly going on in there. Right, and then but, you get the opaque to which was awesome. Glass. Yes, and I'm like. That's what they had at Skyfall. <laughs> right. <laughs> yes. And the no-nonsense lady behind the counter. Oh, yeah. Like, taking the safety off and, like, ready to... Right. Like... But Arnold's like, hello there, Agnes. How are you today? <laughs> I know. And, and she completely just... blows him off. Oh, I know. She was, like, completely unamused by it. Right. Just like, I don't give a shit. You're gonna put your hand in the in the palm. Right. To t- well, she's know. like she's like Money Penny, but with no personality whatsoever. Right. <laughs> It's like, I don't care about you, you big muscle down twit. Go put your eyeball in the eyeball scanner. Yeah, then we can play nice. Right. <laughs> so then we get Nick Fury. I mean, Charlton Heston as Nick Fury. Uh, <laughs> he's Nick Fury. Let's just say it. Uh, so, yeah, the team has assembled, the team of three. They get chewed out by Charlton Heston for blowing the mission, essentially. Instead of getting out of there smoothly, they, you know, cause all sorts of hell. And then on top of it, the data that they got really was sort of inconclusive. They know that Khalid was moving money around in shady banks, but there's no concrete evidence that he bought any nukes or anything like that. So he just it's just an excuse, though, for Charlton Heston to like, rah, 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 rah. Well, you guys a, fucking suck. Rah. He's got a great line, which I cannot remember for the life of me. He's like, so far, this is not blowing my skirt up, gentlemen. Don't you have anything remotely substantial? Harry, do you have any hard data? Well, nothing that you would call rock hard. Actually, it's pretty limp, sir. Then perhaps you better get some before somebody parks an automobile in front of the White House with a nuclear weapon in the trunk. 
<laughs> and then meanwhile, we get a super quick glimpse of Helen's life at her work. She's like a legal secretary of sorts. You know, they sort of hint the fact that she's completely oblivious to Harry's career as a spy and that she's kind of bored. And then we're back into it at uh, Omega and they find out that Juno buys antiquities for Khalid and that she just received a suspiciously large amount of money. That wasn't in the account that he normally accounts for antiquities in. Right. And which is what sort of tipped them off to that. So so Harry realizes that he has to go and talk to her again and see if he can find out anything. And conveniently, she's in Washington, D.C., so oh, how it's not like he has to go very far. Right. How convenient. He can just drive down the street, you know, <laughs> like you do. Exactly. Um, I do like that little line inside the headquarters when Gibb says to Faisal, care to tango? And then they, like, hug each other close and <laughs> start dancing. And then Arnie's like... You're both assholes. <laughs> Again, first 30 minutes. It's a spy movie. It's a spy movie. It's fun. So then we get this tour of uh, Juno's antiquities office, which is mainly just a vehicle to tell us that Juno has these powerful diplomatic contacts for getting things exported out of countries, i.e. that means that she could be moving nukes or guns or whatever which makes her even more of a suspicious character. And then we get our first glimpse of Aziz. And then after Arnie leaves, Aziz comes back into Juno's office and smacks the living shit out of her, which, again, is just 1994, man. It is. Holy cow. If this character had been as developed as she had the potential to be, there is no way that guy would have got his hands on her after that second one. Oh, yeah. You know. Well, and then, too, like her writing it off. Was so upsetting. Like, right. The fact that she's like, if you weren't paying me a bunch of money, just plays into that. Right. That See, a better script would have been. No, you know, that sexist notion that she's just there for, you know, like, granted, she is just there for the money, but like, that doesn't mean that she has to put up with that. Right. You know, a better screenwriter would have had that second slap, her catching his hand and saying, I'm in this for the money, but don't think that you have the the right to do this exactly. to me. Exactly, exactly. You know, because that character had the potential to be so much more of a badass. Yes, absolutely. And I think James Cameron has written one strong woman, well, maybe two if you want to go with Linda Hamilton, but Ellen Not Ripley, a- which wasn't even his character, and Sarah Connor, the only two convincing Women of any substance that James yeah. Cameron has ever written. Yeah. I mean, I, I don't think he knows how to write women very well. His track record's not great. Um, Sorry, James Cameron. <laughs> so after that little <laughs> sequence, uh, then we find out that it's Harry's birthday and Helen and Dana are planning a party, which of course Harry doesn't make it to because he's a spy and he does terrorists never let you keep a schedule <laughs> and because they follow they find out that they're being followed and thus begins the next major major set piece of this movie where they're being followed and so Harry's like oh well let me out and he puts on the sunglasses at night so he can so he can <laughs> And let's let's put it to you right now. You cannot put black sunglasses on Arnold Schwarzenegger and not have him look like a Terminator. Exactly. It, I wish they had gone with something that... At least they could have put different frames on him? Well, I or, don't know. Or a lighter glass that was like, you know, right. like a Bono-style glasses. Yeah. It, it, and it's James Cameron who put those glasses on him. He has to be the most aware person of what this looks like because he shot him every time in that up well, to that point. Maybe he did it on purpose. Maybe he thought that was like a there cool is, thing. 
there's more than one Terminator reference in this movie. Is there really? Oh, well, we get to the fight scene. I will point that out to you. Okay. So yeah, he gets on foot and he's got the cigarette camera sunglasses get up thing going, wearing a trench coat and sunglasses at night. Okay, sure. And then we get yet another fight in a men's room just for Jason, who loves them so much. And ends up with the dude's head in a urinal. <laughs> and of course, now you what they didn't have in the men from Uncle, but you find in most of these is a guy <laughs> dropping a deuce. <laughs> In one of the stalls while it's right. happening. But well, in this scene, he goes in, he sets up the camera, and he's doing his thing. Apparently, he's whistling Edelweiss. Oh, jeez. Now, I can't tell because he's obviously tone deaf and can't whistle very well. <laughs> but the scene where the big muscle-bound bad guy walks in, mm-hmm. he's dressed in a short gray coat with a loud 80s polo shirt, black pants, and he's carrying a forty-five, and he walks in in slow motion. The only thing he didn't have was the the Arnie hair. Oh, my God. But the scene looked like it was shot straight straight up to be from Terminator. Oh, my goodness. And then Arnold goes and proceeds to beat the crap out of this guy, which this dude was bigger than Arnie. Yeah, he was massive. He was huge. (laughs) They must have to do a pretty extensive search of actors to find somebody that big. I'm like, is this Arnie's stunt double? I'm like, actually, he is too big to be Arnie's stunt double. Yeah. In size enough that you would know it was not Arnold because he was too big. Yeah. But of course, Arnold is super strong. He can rip those uh, hand-washing heater dryer thingies right off the wall. I, You know, every Arnold movie, there is some incredible Hulk moment like that where they just insist on playing on that, playing on the fact that he's so big that he can literally rip anything off of a wall. Punch through a porcelain sink, rip right. a toilet off of its yeah. seals. They just always insist on that fantastical strength thing that... Well, okay. and then Muscle Guy gets to be Meat Shield. <laughs> when... when uh, we'll Use this guy um, as a human shield. Yeah, when, when there's... Oh, look, there's a Z. She's the bad guy. <laughs> ah, you missed me. <laughs> Oh, and, goodness. And then Arnie apologizing on the way out. Sorry. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, it's like... And he the... apologizes on a number of occasions. Yeah, when he's in on the horse. scene, yeah. On the, on the elevator with the horse. <laughs> as he's like making his... Uh, anyway, we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll get to that. So during this, Aziz, who was in the car behind Tom Arnold, he slips away while there's a bus behind Tom Arnold. So he, he gets out and then suddenly Gib realizes that Aziz is made his way out and he's going to find his two guys. Right. So he's he makes his way to the restroom and tries to take out Harry. Meat shield. Meat shield. He, yeah, he just shoots meat shield. <laughs> and then the chase sort of flips and Arnold's after him. And so he crashes out of this store window. And that's when we get literally one of the most ridiculous things I've ever seen where <laughs> Tom Arnold is hiding behind a lamppost. exactly (laughs) hiding behind the lamppost doesn't get hit because of course tom arnold is as thin as a lamppost yeah well it works for bugs bunny why can't it work for tom arnold right exactly exactly well it's this type of movie so yeah so again this right here that moment with the lamppost that is the 36 minute mark that is exactly the dividing line between a fairly decent beginning to a sort of corny but sort of fun spy movie and all the ridiculousness that happens after this. Yep. Because from here... It just gets silly. Yeah, hang on. There's no other word to say it. It's just silly. It really just gets silly because at this point, Aziz steals a motorcycle 
And then Harry commandeers a police horse. Again, sorry, I need this horse. <laughs> you know, just, <laughs> okay. <laughs> I felt so bad for that goddamn horse. Uh-huh. It's just like, oh, how much do you think Arnie weighs? Like 325? No. Three... Uh, if, That's a 240, weight. 250. Really? You think so? Yeah, he's not like when he competed anymore. Okay. And he's not still, a tall guy. Still, that's a... That's, that's a, a lot on a horse. That's a lot on a horse, man. So yeah, so he's chasing after Aziz on a horse. And then Tom Arnold is sort of coordinating the effort while he's in the car. Right. And then they sort of corner him at this fancy hotel. And so Aziz decides to, to drive through the hotel on his motorcycle. And of course, Arnold goes after him on the horse through the hotel Again, apologizing all his way through. Sorry. He just, sorry, sorry, sorry. Sorry, I have to get after this guy. So they, so they make their way all the way through the hotel. I think they wind up in like a mall or something. And then they're at these two dual elevators. And Aziz gets into one with his motorcycle. Again, why, why would he do that? It, it makes oh, no sense. It makes less sense of why... Arnold would get onto the elevator with his horse. Right. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> this is, again, I'm like, this is what happens when I try and like make any logical sense of this movie is like, <laughs> I run into <laughs> issues like that. So they go to the top of this building and then Aziz being, I don't know, crazy or whatever, drives his motorcycle off the edge of the, of the hotel building. I think it's like a Ramada or something mm-hmm. <laughs> and smashes through the glass and just magically careens all the way across a giant city street onto the uh, top of a building with a pool on it. And he lands right in the pool because of course he nailed it first try. It's all algebra. <laughs> I'm just like, it looks so silly. It looks so, so silly. So then Arnold gets up to the top of the building and tries to do the same thing with the horse. Horse is like, I ain't having it, and throws him. Then the horse sort of pulls him back up off the the thing. I do like the little exchange he has with the horse, though. He chastises the horse. Yeah, what like, kind of police officer are you? Yeah. You let him get away. That's <laughs> the only funny part. Everything else is just eye-rolling. I'm just eye-rolling the whole time. So one thing I have to mention about this whole thing is how on earth would all of this happen without it being on the news for his family to see it? Like the only thing I can think of, which I did sort of think about later, was, okay, it's 1994. News is not quite as immediate as it is now. There's that. Well, and there's some mention when... um, Well, there is. It's in the newspaper. But that's the thing. It's like, how come something that big wasn't on, on like, the nightly news? Well, it could have been, but it isn't like anybody was going to have it captured on film. That's true. Nobody had cameras on their phones then. Hell, half the people in the U.S. didn't have phones back then. Right. And so unless there was a news crew that was right there, right. all you're going to get it is on the newspaper and maybe a blurb on the 10 o'clock local news. Yeah. You know, gigantic man rides horse into a hotel room, <laughs> film at 11. There wasn't that. <laughs> so, yeah. So Aziz gets away. And then, of course, Harry gets home late to his birthday party, which is now it's, you know, probably two in the morning or whatever. And Helen's half asleep in a chair waiting for him to, to come home. And so she's mad. And this also brings up the point, how does Helen not suspect that he's the one having an affair? He's the one that's always gone. He's the one that's always showing up late at night. Anyway, so then we're back at Omega Sector headquarters and Harry's able to find Aziz's profile 
So they presented Charlton Heston, <laughs> a.k.a. Nick Fury. <laughs> and it turns out the disease is responsible for car bombings and attacks all over the place. And he now runs a splinter faction called the Crimson Jihad, which is kind of where the movie sort of shifts into act two. Right. So we get done with that. Uh, it's the next morning. And Harry is uh, driving with Gib out to work. And he's like, nah, we need to stop here. <laughs> I need to go apologize to Helen for being late. Um, so uh, basically, Harry wants to go in and try and make amends for being late for the birthday party again. Again. Tom Arnold, uh, or Gib, is giving him a whole bunch of uh, guff about, you know, yeah, it's kind of too late, Harry, but, you know, yeah, whatever, man. That's what uh, happens when I can see what's happening, but you're not seeing nothing, but... You know, he's insistent. So, so you, you just you just want me to hang then? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just hang. <laughs> yeah, that was really funny. He, oh, God, he just drags Gib through the mud, He man. treats Gib like he treats his wife. Yeah. It's just Gib is more vocal about it. He's more passive aggressive about it. Right. But they're both, he's got his wife and his work wife, and he treats both of them the same way. Ugh. <laughs> Unfortunately, he keeps getting treated that way, whereas Jamie Lee Curtis just ends up being another person that treats him that way. But that's at the end of the movie. <laughs> anyway, yeah. um, so he goes upstairs. He's getting ready to surprise her, and as he's walking over to her cubicle, he overhears a conversation that Helen is having with her friend over there about her mystery man on the phone, right. and she gets all Twitter-pated and, and, <laughs> and super excited. So he stops. In the middle of the aisle to her desk, mind you, nobody's saying, oh, hey, Harry. Yeah, because Harry is such a nondescript person. Right. Like you wouldn't see a giant muscle-bound muscle Austrian <laughs> yeah, like in a every, suit. Everyone in the office would see him. Now, where I work, you might see that. <laughs> like, it'd be, like it'd be commonplace at it, your work? It, yes. Okay. At least the Austrian part. Um, but <laughs> not there, I don't think. But he listens to the whole thing. Basically, he gets this impression that whoever she's meeting with, that she might be having an affair. Right. Um, and let's face it. I mean, it's not like Helen's sounded... character is going out of her. She's clearly thinking about that anyway. Yeah. So he manages to duck out before she leaves. I will uh, say on an aside, something that my wife brought up actually was... <laughs> she was like, why doesn't this movie end in divorce? Like, cause she clearly was ready to cheat on him. Right. Like she just needed to be pushed over the edge. Like, <laughs> Well, because they got together. Right. Again, it was like a brand new romance all over right, again. Right. Where they kill people. But it was just sort of funny that I should have noticed that, but it, <laughs> it's sort of like Mr. And Mrs. Smith. Yeah, very much so. You know, but that's not where they were going. This was a love story. Right. Even Cameron said it's a love story. God. It's not a love story. People don't get divorced unless they get divorced at the beginning of the love story so that the two divorced people can fall in love. Right. Which did not happen in this item. <laughs> so Harry goes back. Gib is still hanging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. He's like walking out dejected. Yeah. And, and he's like, oh, what's the matter, Harry? And uh, I think Helen is having an affair. Oh, congratulations, buddy. It finally happened to you. Yeah, he's like, welcome to the club, right, man. exactly. He's like all happy that like he can share his misery with somebody else. And, you know, <laughs> Harry's not having any of it. So they go through the whole thing. They get back to where they're going. And then it cuts to a family dinner at home. Right. Where, where Harry's still obviously processing all of the things that are going on there. The potatoes. Yeah. Blang. Blang. <laughs> blang. Yeah. Tane is just sort of like, huh? 
What's yeah, going on? yeah, exactly. Uh, well, she's totally zoned out anyway. It's yeah, not like she particularly got her cares. Phones on or um, Schwarzenegger <laughs> makes some uh, indicators of of what's going on. Helen plays it off as whatever else. Yeah, he's trying to kind of trip her up, and right, and it it doesn't work out. So right, you know, we cut to that. They're back in uh, Omega Sector. And we're talking about uh, wiretaps that are going on and the information between uh, Gib and Harry. And Harry's like, I want you to tap a phone. And <laughs> Gib doesn't really catch on initially, but uh, no, I want you to tap Helen's phone. Yeah. And then there's that scene where he's like, that's illegal. And then Arnold throws him against the wall. Yeah. And it's like, what do you get me illegal? We're doing taps, a thousand taps a day. <laughs> but he gets the wiretap. So uh, there you have that. Yeah. <laughs> so... After this scene, they go they show back Harry back at home. He goes up and talks to Helen, who's exercising on the exercise bike, and right. you know says, "Oh, let's go out and have lunch." And oh, I have something. He's basically testing her because he's he knows that she's meeting through the wiretap right. that she's meeting with the Simon guy, and he wants to get, I guess, proof in his own head that he wants to give her a chance, right, to not do it. Yeah, yeah. And she obviously she's oh no, I got me. going shopping with the girls. Go okay, find them. Going to wiretap you now. I'm going to track everything that you have. That's right. I'm going to take the shirt. Oh, I need to fold this over your purse and take it into the bathroom. <laughs> it's so obvious when right. he does that. It's just like. <laughs> Here we go. And then cut to opening the window, and here's Tom Arnold getting drenched in the rain yeah, by just, a fire hose because you know that's what's happening. Oh my God, just pissing rain. Right. Just, he <laughs> takes the bag to put trackers in it. I'm like, how did they not get water in the bag? How there how, was so much water coming down. How is the bag not soaking wet when he puts it back where it's supposed exactly. to be? Exactly. But they get the trackers in it, gives them the whole tracker spiel, whatever else. But oh, okay. <laughs> this is not before the dog walk. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> this, this, I have a fucking issue with this. This part where he goes back outside to quote unquote walk the dog and it's pissing rain and he's got the world's tiniest fucking dog on a leash and he yanks at it. That actually made me actually angry, like seriously mad. Like, how did they even get away with shooting that scene? Like, I felt like that was fucking animal cruelty. Like, yeah, I was well, mad. And so that's I a weird thing. I was legitimately mad at that moment. Because at the end of the movie, you know, it's got the Humane Society thing at the end of it. So it got the stamp of approval from the Humane Society, uh, which is like, did they change their guidelines in the right. last 20-some-odd years? Yeah, that that little moment where, where that dog gets yanked, I was not happy with this movie. Like, no. It took me a little while to sort of get over that moment. I was like, and it was completely unnecessary. It right. was so unnecessary. There could have been a million other things that they could have done. He could have found any excuse to go outside to pick up the purse and to do it with a tiny little dog in the rain and right. then abuse the fucking thing. Well, that's the thing. You could have had a scene where he takes the dog out. The dog is being uncooperative. He's like, what are you doing? Right. Fine. And then he just picks him up and takes him over there. Yeah, just picks him up. You could still convey that he's pissed off. Right. In the same Without he's hurting impatient. the damn dog. Right. And so that's what bothered, I think what bothers me more is that clearly that's what Cameron was trying to do here. Right. He was trying to, yeah, show that he was mad, but it's like, you could have found a million other ways. It makes his character look awful. It does. Awful. Unless, of course, this is something they cribbed directly from the French movie, in which case the French hate everything. So maybe <laughs> that's funny in France. I don't know. Sure. <laughs> So he, he takes the dog out, he finds that he's got the bugs on it, he gets the bag back, he puts the tracker on it. Next day, they show him in the car following her with the bag tracker. Right. Um, Helen goes in to meet Simon at a restaurant, 
And we get our, our first uh, showing of Mr. Bill Paxton. Oh, my goodness. And what Holy was that? Cow. That flop over hair, man. Holy smokes. Yeah. They start chatting, and he's like, being very... Yeah, Helen. like looking the other way and being kind of like jumpy and... Right. Like, he's playing what people who are playing at being a spy would do. Right. Right. Building up the intrigue, right. as it were. <laughs> he takes credit for all the nonsense that went on the night before. Right, with the motorcycle. With the motorcycle and the, and the horse, which obviously Helen heard of, but didn't see anything to know that it was Arnold because 1994. Right. <laughs> um, meanwhile, they're listening to him, and Gibb is like all sorts of, like, I'm starting to like this guy. But, I mean, we, we still got to kill him. That's a given. <laughs> yeah, like Arnold looks over at him like, no. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> the whole scene, it's actually, it's such a fun scene because Bill Paxton somehow manages to be a good enough actor to overact and still be acting at the same time. Right. He right. sells that he is this desperate man. Yeah, he's acting, overacting. Right, exactly. <laughs> because he's brilliant. He ends up leaving. They cut to him driving in a Corvette that would never be on a used car lot ever. anywhere ever. 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 So unrealistic. You look at all the other cars in his lot. And they're all pieces of shit. And here's a, I think it's a 62 or 61 Corvette. She's got the double lights in the front. Just beautiful. Oh, I know. And uh, oh. <laughs> wanted, I've wanted that car since I was 12 years old. But anyway, that's that's not here. So he pulls into there. Um, so they discover that Simon's a used car salesman. And then Harry poses as a customer trying to find out more information about this guy, what his angle is, what he's trying to do. Right. You would think it would be actually pretty obvious what he's trying to do, <laughs> but apparently Arnold needs direct confirmation. <laughs> right. He needs to take a drive with this guy to figure it all out. <laughs> so he goes in, he sees the Corvette that does not belong on the lot. And Paxton comes out playing the salesman guy, which goes from being a fake spy to a real car salesman. Uh, I think somebody actually pointed out in the, the notes that Simon is 180 degrees from what Arnold is. Arnold is a spy who's playing a salesman. Simon is a salesman, salesman that's playing a spy, spy right? <laughs> so the opposite ends of the coin, I guess. Uh, so they go on a drive in this wonderful Corvette. Paxton starts driving it. And they're talking about, you know, how he gets his women. And well, I think it's funny, too, how, like, at the very beginning of the conversation, he's like, well, that's trade secret, man. I can't tell you my how I get all these chicks. And then literally like five minutes later, they're like eating something. And he's like, so basically what it is, is I'm right. a spy. And <laughs> right. Because he wants to brag about it. Right? Right. 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 So they're in there. He gives them the whole rundown on. He talks about how they're lonely housewives and their husbands don't pay them any attention anymore. Really kind of unknowingly pointing out all the flaws that Harry is bothered by. Yeah. Once he's found out this is actually happening. Right. Um, and then goes on about this particular piece that he's working with. <laughs> oh and my God. The, some his, of the... <laughs> his description of Jamie Lee Curtis is so cringy. Oh, yeah. Oh, gosh. She's got the most incredible body and a pair of titties make you want to stand up and beg for buttermilk. Ass like a 10 year old boy. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. There are very few words that make me want to vomit when I hear them, but titties? <laughs> is one of them. No. Just, just say no, Bill Paxton. Um, so he's talking about this. Harry's getting madder and madder and madder. And then he has that wonderful moment where he, he sits there and bam, right in the face. And the Paxton just goes unconscious, nose is bleeding and dripping. 
Dead, and, uh, dead eye stare. Dead, dead eye stare. And then back to Arnold. Back to reality. Right. And we realize he's just. Yeah. It's a great <laughs> he's scene. just imagining it. <laughs> because he's fully capable of doing it, but can't. <laughs> right. Because in his head, I'm guessing. He still needs more information. And he still needs to be absolutely sure right. whether anything happened or not. Right. And he isn't getting that right. directly. So right. you can't blow the source until you have all of the information. <laughs> so armed with this little encounter that he has with Bill Paxson, he, he basically just goes off the rails and starts pulling in actual agents to help him surveil this midnight rendezvous that Helen is having with Simon. Right. Um, Gib gets totally... He, he basically... Has to give Harry a reality check at this point. Right. Right. He's like, what are you doing? You're you realize what you're doing, right? You are allocating government funds and to sp- resources and resources actual people. Right. To follow your wife who's cheating on you, which you clearly know Gib is like, it happens, man. Yeah. <laughs> you just need to get over it. Right. But Arnie's not having anything of it up to the point of threatening to reveal that Gib blew a complete operation by getting a blowjob instead of paying attention to what he was supposed to be doing. Right. Right? (laughs) So what he basically did is his best friend, he's so pissed off that he's willing to burn his best friend to get what he wants to find out what he needs to find out. Right. So it's taking it to this whole other level. And you know what? Like the way that you just described it, it should seem like a big deal. But when you hear Tom Arnold say, take it like a man... Right. It's so unconvincing and poorly done that I'm immediately back to, oh, this is a terrible movie. <laughs> yeah, right. You're just about to sell it, and then they don't sell yeah. it. So, okay, we get into the whole thing. We've got helicopters. We've got other agents. Yeah. we got all this stuff happening. and Yeah, you've got the helicopter voice going, uh, yeah, she's got her head in his lap. Yahoo. Yeah. Who turns out to be... be James Cameron. Right. Right. All <laughs> it's so dumb at it's this so point. Oh God! I mean, what are what are we even doing? <laughs> I, this was the part that I oh, almost it gets worse, had to, though. I know it gets worse. But at this point, I seriously considered turning it off the first time I rewatched it, and did turn it <laughs> off the second time I rewatched it because I just. I mean, I. I know that there's light at the end of this tunnel, <laughs> but the train is moving so damn slow, I don't care. <laughs> they end up back at his place. Well, it's like his trailer. Or, yeah. yeah. He lives exactly where you think he's going to end up living. In a trailer. In a trailer. Yeah. Simon's putting on the moves pretty hard, and Helen's trying to resist. He's giving her the hard push. I got to leave. Uh, they're on to me. Yeah. Uh, I need you to go to Paris with me. We're going to be a married couple or whatever. Right. And it's got to be convincing. So let's try and figure this out. Yeah. And of course, Jamie Lee Curtis is, she was into it until she wasn't into it. Right. And then she gets really not into it really, really fast. Yeah. And it gets pretty damn close to rapey. And I didn't yeah. like that at yeah. all. No. Again, 1994, unrefined. Non-politically cultural. correct. Which I will rail about political correctness a lot, but... This is just bad movie writing. Yeah. You don't take things to that level unless there's a reason to take it to that level. Exactly. You didn't need to do that to sell what was happening there. Exactly. And I think you actually had an opportunity there to show Helen's inherent badassness before Arnold shows up with everybody by having her give him a no and kick him in the face or something. There was a real good character development moment that Cameron's like, yeah, I don't have time for this. I'm writing Titanic and (laughs) that's going to make me so much damn money. You know what? 
You. How old are you? 10. Finish this for me. <laughs> anyway, so Harry and his guys come in. They take everybody away. Oh, I love how... I, I think it's Gib that actually hits Helen on the back of the head. No, no. It, it was or one was of, a, it was, it was one of the team one members the because team members. Arnold goes off on him when yeah, it happens. Yeah, just like beats the crap. <laughs> right. They throw her into the back of a truck. They drive her off. And we get that. Oh, that interrogation scene is just... It's pretty horrible. It's my least favorite scene of the whole movie. This is where the spy movie ran into the rom-com comedy truck. And then they added like a brief moment of seriousness to it where it almost seemed confessional. Yeah. And I was like, oh God, none of this is working. None of this is gelling for me. Which despite the fact that Jamie Lee Curtis does a really good job in that scene. She absolutely does. That's the one thing that like, if there's anything that saves the scene at all, it's her. Right. Because everything else about it is stupid. Yeah. I see the point of why it's there. Yeah. But again, it's one of those scenes that you could have found another way to get where you wanted to go. Right. Um, Because... I don't think anybody would anticipate questions like that in any kind of an interrogation. Right. Something. <laughs> it's just so. Something should silly. have been going off in her head going, is there something else going on here that I don't know about? Why are you asking me these questions? Right, right. And of course you get Arnold in the, how are you doing? <laughs> yeah. The, the, just answer the questions. Which I have to. I have the to voice say, distortions right. are so just. I feel like a a voice distortion thing for real on Arnold Schwarzenegger would be unintelligible. Either that or they'd have to like up it a notch and make it sound like a chipmunk or something. Like go the other way with it. (laughs) (laughs) Because most of what comes out of his mouth is unintelligible garbage anyway. You, you add those layers to it, it's like, <laughs> yeah, no, no, I don't buy it. Um, so they get through the interrogation scene. It basically, they're detailing how he met him. They're, they're basically trying to make it sound like it's a real interrogation that just goes off the rails with the questions that he ends up asking. Because right, all he's really trying to find out is whether or not she had sex with him. Right. Basically. Right. And then like, once he finds out that, she didn't. Then suddenly he's like, oh, well, do you still love your husband? And it's like... Right. And this is where it gets really stupid. Yeah. Because you're you're putting on that Helen is so dumb that she can't figure out there's something going on because there isn't any possibility that her six foot tall, muscle bound Austrian husband right. could be something more than what he is. Hello. Exactly. Right. Exactly. We're not putting two and two together that he's never around. He's got this guy that's been hanging out with him for 15 years. He's in peak physical condition. Right. Even though he sells computer software. None of these bells are going off And in he her never head. seems to have time to go to the gym. Exactly. Where is he working out? Yeah. Is there, is there a really nice that. gym at the uh, computer sales that's uh, got to be it. They've got a gym in there, and he's just he's, he's getting just huge. The, I need to get in here yeah, and stay in good shape I don't for my want wife. To, I don't want to have floppy disks, if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> ah, I sell computers, and that was a computer joke. So anyway, oh boy. rather than let Helen off the hook now that he has his information, he decides he wants to have a little fun with her. Right. That can be the only reason why he's going to do this to his wife. <laughs> because he wants to kissy-kissy makeup, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. But he tells her she's going to get a mission, that she will be contacted. Right. And if I'm not mistaken, this is where the Boris and Doris name comes yes. up from. Which And he continues to use more funds from the government right. to pay for the room at that fancy-ass hotel. Right. So <laughs> she goes off 
tacitly to wait for her mission. Gib and Harry meet up with Simon. Simon <laughs> pees his pants. That's really funny. <laughs> they are like, I'm just a pathetic guy. I'm gutless. Right. I don't have any courage at all. I'm <laughs> right, right, right. And yeah, they like they're gonna threaten to throw him off a dam, and they just leave him there. I'm not really sure why that's there. <laughs> yeah, it's, why is that whole scene there at all? It's really random. I mean, you could have done that in his house, and that's the end of Bill Paxton for the rest of the movie. Right. I wonder if a lot of that scene got left on the cutting room floor. Maybe there was more to it. Yeah. Like maybe he like held him over the edge of the dam and like scared the living crap out of him or whatever. Right. There there wasn't really any need for Arnold to be Arnold in that scene. And so it just seemed like, an again, you could have established that Helen was a badass by kicking this guy in the balls with a high heel shoe. Mm-hmm. And then at the end of it, Harry goes in and he pees from those sore balls because he scares the crap out of him. Right. All he really did was blow his own cover. Yeah. So I don't understand what purpose it served, but it's there. We can't take it out of the movie because it's not our movie. (laughs) But we get past that scene. They're back in the house. They're all having dinner. Uh, Helen is noticeably nervous. (laughs) But for some reason, Harry seems to be very relaxed. Yeah, suddenly Harry's feeling really good about himself. Right, and she's still not putting two or two together. Right. But there you have it. Meanwhile. (laughs) She gets the phone call. This time, Gibbs using the the voice changer. Yeah. (laughs) It sounds remarkably like Arnold using the voice changer. (laughs) She gets a call. She's instructed to dress sexy and go to this hotel, and she will get more information as she goes. Right. Um, She's supposed to pick up a package and call the phone number on the envelope. She gets to the hotel. She asks for the package, which... She does it so awkwardly, it's fantastic. Oh, I know. <laughs> she really actually does act really well in this movie. She's, yeah, she yeah. She has one of the better... Actually, everybody, considering how ridiculous this movie is, there's a lot of actually good performances in here. There, well, there are good actors in this movie. Yeah. And then there are bad ones. Right. There's some really good actors, and then there's some really bad actors. Unfortunately, the lead actor in this movie is one of the bad ones. <laughs> And the guy he's working with is one of the bad ones. So they get the majority of the screen time. And if they'd given mm-hmm. Jamie Lee Curtis maybe more to work with as a character on this. Oh, absolutely. Um, I think she would have stolen the show. But she basically got told you have to be a mousy housewife until you're not. Right. And that's it. So she gets the information. Um, she finds a, a bug inside it. She gets a phone number. She calls more <laughs> type of stuff going Your on. prostitute named Michelle. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and in the process of this, this is my favorite scene in the movie because she realizes what she's looked like is not a sexy prostitute named Michelle. Right. So she rips off the sleeves perfectly at the hem, I might add, as yeah. if they weren't supposed to be there at all. Right. But getting the water from the vase to slick her hair back there's just something about that scene where she... It's her, a the, transformation. Right. It's an utter transformation. Her wheels start turning, and she starts becoming the Helen that's buried underneath this housewife thing. Right. Granted, it still pops up, but this is where you're like, oh, she could be a spy. Right. Right? So she goes in, and we got <laughs> we got Arnold... Oh, boy. ...sitting in the dark. Oh, boy. She's not going to be able to tell that's her husband in right. any way, shape, or form, yeah, right? Yeah, of course, because, you know, she's only been with him for, you know... How many decades at now? At least 12, at least 14. 14 years, and she can't say, oh, that's obviously my husband sitting in that right. chair, despite the fact that it's dark. You're still going to know. Right. And what sort of speaker system is he using on this tape recorder that you can't tell that it's recorded? Yeah, like you're just going to be totally convinced that a recorded voice off a tiny little tape recorder 
that's definitely a genuine voice and not something being played sure. through a bad speaker. Maybe because it's French. <laughs> it's just... I don't know. But wow. she gets in here and her mission is to hide a bug in this room and then leave after the bug has been placed. Right. She believes that Arnold's character is an international drug dealer, I believe, and he likes he likes to watch. <laughs> right? Yeah. So That's she's in the supposed to do like a strip tease, basically. Right. Well, and in the notes on IMDb, initially she was supposed to go in naked. And it would be filmed in shadow like Arnold was. Right. But I don't know if Jamie Lee Curtis wasn't having anything to do with that. Or if she just... I think what had happened was that she felt she could sell it better with the clothes and doing the dancing than she could just kind of swaying around naked like it had originally called for. Well, and I think it does work better with her clothes on because then too, then you can see her face... Right. And, and when she screws up and she kind of clumsily falls, yeah. falls and, and some of those little mistakes, she can actually emote. Right. So you can see the nervousness. You can see all that. But you also see her get into it. Right. When she reaches that point where she's like, I can do this. And she starts right. going she at it. Suddenly finds her confidence. Right. And, you know, Arnold obviously needed to be the one that was in dark and shadow because he can't emote. <laughs> so why do you need to see his face at right, all? He's exactly. not even talking in this whole thing. <laughs> right. I do love when he drops the tape recorder, though, because he's yes. like, oh, my God, she's so sexy. And, I can't handle it. Oh, my God. I need to take her home and, and do it right now. <laughs> this is the other thing that I hate in movies. We're, I haven't had very many of them. We've only had the bathroom and the potty scene, but... Cassette tapes in particular that are perfectly queued up to write where you need them to be. Oh, boy. And then just to double down on that, the fact that he was able to rewind and get exactly back to the same line again. Exactly. Without without even checking. Right. So this is something that's been going on in movies since there were recording things. Right. But I always hate that this is possible. I mean, <laughs> in the digital era, I could see it. Sure. Right. Yeah. Nowadays... If you you could cue it up where you want it to be and go, but you'd still have to look at it to see where you were queuing it up. Right. So all right, fine. It moves the movie along. Sure. I'll just whatever. Let it go. I mean, it's that's well, it's the same. It's the same thing when I was trying to rationalize like, why is he on a motorcycle in an elevator? Well, why is he on a friggin' horse in an elevator? Yeah, it's, it's, I guess you have to suspend that disbelief really hard in this movie and all just the run way. with it all the way. Which may be why I had so much trouble with it. Yeah. I don't know. So she gets through, mission accomplished. She's totally turned on. So was I. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> um, he gets her on the bed. He tries to kiss her. And, of course, she still doesn't realize it's her husband How? at this point. What? Like, she wouldn't just open her eyes and be like, oh, look, it's my right. husband. Right, right. She's not going to know that this guy, well, he feels like Harry. He smells like, like Harry, Harry, probably. Right. I mean, this... She's sleeping with Arnold Schwarzenegger. You're not going to find that guy just down at the bar, right? right? So, boy, he's built like Harry. He smells like Harry. Nope. I'm going to take a telephone and smack him upside the head. <laughs> Which, an old school phone like that? Right. You would kill a man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, Arnold didn't kill the guy with the, the hand dryer. The bullets did. Oh, boy. So, we're <laughs> yeah. suspending disbelief yet again. Uh, again. So, she tries to get out. He lets her know what's going on. She's surprised. Oh, my God. This guy who looks and smells like Harry's Harry. Oh. Right. And that's when everybody comes in with guns a-blazing. And right. And suddenly it becomes 
it's not quite a spy movie. It becomes the Arnold action Arnold movie. Arnold Schwarzenegger action movie. Right. Because that, we've moved out of spy and now we're moving to stopping nuclear destruction. Right, right. <laughs> so it's just, it's such a weird handoff. It's such a weird handoff to go from that dancing scene and then suddenly, right. you know, we find out that Aziz and his guys have been monitoring him. And, and watching him. And then they just come in at this exact moment. And let's point out the fact that these are terrorists. They're probably fairly well-funded terrorists, but somehow they're able to monitor some super secret government agency, but the super secret agent government agency doesn't have the ability to monitor them. Yeah, exactly. So anyway, <laughs> I think that jumps us into act three and thank God I haven't been happier to get to the end of a movie in my life. Yeah. So Harry and Helen are taken to an airstrip, they're blindfolded, but they're taken to this airstrip and Juno's there. She comes out of the airplane and, you know, Helen's very confused and they get in the jet. And it's kind of funny that that little moment where Helen keeps revealing all this stuff about Harry's life, even though it's all wrong, (laughs) but it's also revealing things about his personal life that Juno shouldn't be knowing. Right. But it's sort of funny that Juno's the one that ends up actually tranquilizing them both. Like, despite the fact that she's rattling off all this stuff that there's no way Harry wanted her to know about. Right, but at the end of the day, Juno just doesn't want to listen to that shit. Right, exactly. (laughs) So, yeah, so they both get tranquilized, and then they're flown to Aziz's base. So they get off the airplane, and they're unmasked. And this is where you get the next major trope, a.k.a. a cliché. Of the villain disclosing his entire plan. Right. <laughs> Behold, my secret lair and all my nuclear warheads and everything I'm going to do. <laughs> well, and you know, the fact that they're sneaking these things in through antiquities from somewhere else. Right. You have the impression that maybe they're busting these antiquities up to get them where they need to go. Well, yeah. How did they get them in there? They only seem to bust them up when they take them out. Right. But you've got this woman who deals in antiquities, clearly has a love for these antiquities, and you don't even get the Ilsha Snyder moment from Last Crusade when they're burning books, and she's almost teary-eyed. There's no reaction for Juno. It's like it's all about the money. She doesn't care. Yeah, she can care less. Right. Despite the fact that supposedly that's her thing. Right. You had this opportunity to make you feel a little sympathetic for uh, for Juno's character by seeing what this greed is costing her. Right. And you don't even get that because she just becomes another two-dimensional character yeah, they just in a two-dimensional movie. At all. Like you said earlier. Yeah, they could have made her a total badass. And add to that the the antiquities thing, the fact that, you know, if she would have actually shown any sort of emotion whatsoever about it, right. any sort of passion. For anything. When James Bond movies do more with their femme fatales in terms of making you feel something for them than this movie did, you have a problem with your writing. Yeah. Because I gave two shits about (laughs) any of the bad guys in this movie. Right. At all. And kind of maybe one shit for some of the more supporting characters as well. Right. And... I mean, I can think of the worst James Bond movie that I've ever seen. Maybe I can't think of it right off the top of my head. <laughs> but, I mean, even the 60s ones, the Connery films, mm-hmm. you still got a little bit more depth out of the. You know, the girl got painted gold, and I felt worse for her for getting painted gold a gold figure than I did for Juno in this whole stupid movie. Right. So, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Stepping off the soapbox again. <laughs> so, uh... <laughs> Sorry, oh, I, just, I just read the, the next <laughs> note. 
And it made me laugh. <laughs> so yeah, so then we get that that wonderful line where he's like, what is this? And he's like, Do you know what this is? I know what this is. This is an espresso machine. No, no, no. It's a snow cone maker. That's what it is. This is a water heater. <laughs> and it's just, it, see, this part also is kind of, it's kind of puzzling, actually. Other than the fact that he is, that Harry is taken as a hostage, the fact that it's explained that he's there to verify in Aziz's declaration video, like what these weapons are and that they're active and that they work and all this stuff. Like, why would you need an expert witness in a terrorist declaration video? Well, there's, there's two reasons for it. One, he knows that Harry telling them what it is, that the people who will be watching the video will know it's legit. Okay. But this is actually there as the aha moment for Helen. Well, yeah. When Harry's like, it's a something something with the nuclear missile warheads and the things over there. But it, well, it is the aha moment for Helen. But it's like that's such a vehicle just for that. It doesn't. It still doesn't explain necessarily why they took him hostage. Right. Well, because in the real world they would have just killed both of them. Right. There right. would be no hostages. Right. <laughs> so it's a trope to keep Harry's character going further into the movie. When really right. it's just bad writing. Can we say how bad the writing is in this? It is time and time again. Holy cow! I mean, I I I want to go find this French version of this film and I want to watch it. I kind of do too now, just so I can see how if it's, it's much to. better. And I feel like it's gonna be <laughs> because it doesn't have a bunch of a bar it has to hit to get there. Well, and you don't have somebody like Arnold Schwarzenegger in it, where you know, anytime Arnold Schwarzenegger is in a movie. You immediately already think this is what the movie's going to be, right? Whereas I'm sure that movie, well, that movie might have had an actor in it that might have given you an initial thought about what it was going to be, right? But I don't think it would be as strong, no, <laughs> as somebody like Arnold. At the end of the day, this was an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie that he wanted to make with James Cameron, right? Right. This wasn't like Kindergarten Cop, where. They play him off being Arnold at the very beginning of that movie. Right. And then it becomes an Ivan Reitman film that he happens to be in. Right. Right. And that's the same thing with Twins. But even with Twins, they didn't even go through the whole rigmarole of making an Arnold Schwarzenegger movie. It's like, we know he can do comedy. We're just going to make a comedy movie. Right. Right. And then, of course, it falls on its face with the baby movie where he has the baby. <laughs> I'm going to have a baby. <laughs> but at this point... I, I have to wonder why Cameron even bothered to make this movie. Yeah. Because he clearly was not invested in it in any way, shape, or form. It's so weird, too, considering how uh, careful he is in a lot of his other movies. He's right. much more attentive to detail and, and that sort of thing. Whereas this, maybe this was like just sort of a payout for him. It could have been. He's like, you know, I, I got this Titanic thing I'm trying to figure out. He's like, this is an easy paycheck. I can just ask for a big budget because it's Arnold. Right. And we'll just... Slap it all together and... That's how Aliens actually got made. He wrote the screenplay for Rambo 2. Okay. And part of his his deal for Rambo 2 was to get a production deal through Fox to do something else that he wanted to do, but he got complete control over whatever he ended up doing. And so he pulled out the Alien thing that he wanted to do off of Ridley Scott's movie and basically had carte blanche to do whatever he wanted. 
So he's done that before where it's sort of like, I'm going to do this for you, but this is what I want instead. And so maybe that's what happened. It's like when actors take movies for money and then they go do their passion project afterwards. Right, right. Which is, you know, completely detailed in uh, Jay and Silent Bob Strike Back in the right. uh, <laughs> Goodwill Hunting 2 <laughs> hunting season. How you like them apples? <laughs> Biatch. And moving back to what we're actually yes, talking about. but I digress. Indeed. So, oh, the battery thing? Yeah. Wow. Holy shit. I, if that had actually happened 20 minutes into the movie, click. Yeah. yeah. Just, it's such a it's just Three so Stooges gag. It really is. They're in the middle of shooting this jihad declaration video. And then they play the batteries going out gag and the camera operator is so scared that Aziz is going to kill him or whatever. It's just... Yeah, it's so obvious that there's no way it could actually be funny. Right. A better writer would have been said, there's low-hanging fruit and then there's fruit that's actually on the ground. We're just going (laughs) to leave the fruit on the ground on the ground. Right. But I will digress real quick. So he identifies the Merv 6 warheads and then he looks at Helen and he's like I'm sorry I'm a spy you know or whatever what can what I do you want me to do what can I say I'm a spy hey, look at me I'm the huge why <laughs> did you not even How think did this you was not possible? even know I mean my god yeah <laughs> so meanwhile they discover the tracker inside Helen's purse which then gives us this quick little transition to see that Gib and his team are en route to try and save them of course then they break the tracker and suddenly the the signal goes out and and Gibbs like damn you know and then they just sort of disappear and that's why nobody can find them right away while all this stuff is going down. Can I can I also point out why they let her bring her purse? Yeah, why would they even bother to? Oh yeah, you can take that with you mm-hmm. on the subduction. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah. Come on. Yeah, it's fine. Yeah. Happens all the time. <laughs> so then they stick Harry and Helen in this torture room and they give Harry some truth serum and. <laughs> We get some of the funniest shit from Arnold I know. in this scene. It's actually like, his funniest scene in the movie. It's like Helen's trying to find out if the truth serum is working, and she's like, so are we going to die here? <laughs> yep. <laughs> yep. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> and then she's like, have you killed people? He's like, yeah, but they were all bad. <laughs> And he's got that dopey look on his face. Yeah, the whole I know time. the wild-eyed, like just. Yeah. Del- uh, 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 uh. <laughs> so then the the torture guy comes back in, and, and is this guy not the stereotypical torture guy? Oh, he's per- yeah. One note, torture man. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm here to torture you. <laughs> Can you not tell by the way I look? What gave it away? I mean, your wife obviously might not guess it because she couldn't tell you were a spy. <laughs> But clearly she has to be able to tell I'm the torture guy. Right. So then, of course, uh, Harry is like, you know, under the truth serum. So he's kind of delirious. He's like, I'm, I'm going to kill you soon. He's like, oh, really? How are you going to do that? And he's like, well, I'm going to use this guy as a human shield. <laughs> then I'm going to take this instrument off the thing and throw it in his eye or whatever. It's like he basically <laughs> says exactly what he's going to do. <laughs> And then the torture man's like, well, how do you think you're going to get away with all that? And he's like, because I picked the lock on my handcuffs. And then he does exactly, <laughs> exactly. what he just said he was going to do. Exactly. <laughs> so even under the uh, the truth serum, he's still spying his way in and out. <laughs> well, what's funny too is right after this scene, he does all this stuff. He he breaks the guy's neck. He uses the guy as a human shield. He throws the whatever that medical instrument is into that guy's head. He does all that with accurate precision. 
And yet, when they then leave, when him and Helen walk out, he starts stumbling and acts like he's still like dizzy from the truth serum. Right. Yet five seconds ago, he was like the most lethal killer ever. Instincts and training, man. <laughs> Instincts and training. Fortune and glory, kid. Fortune and glory, kid. <laughs> so Harry and Helen, they try and escape out of the camp. And Harry just goes into full Arnold mode. He's just wiping out bad guys right and left. You know, one over here, one over there. One of them grabs Helen and he turns around. And he like just pops him right over her shoulder and doesn't ever hurt her. And and then she's like, oh my God, I married Rambo, which right. I thought was a nice touch. Just for the time, that was a good it, it touch. Was, yeah, it was definitely very topical at that point. In 1994. <laughs> so at that point then... Uh, Harry and Helen, they kind of sneak into where the baddies are filming Aziz arming the demonstration warhead. And they figure out that since they're loading these warheads onto trucks, that they must be somewhere in the Florida Keys. And that's how they're able to get them into the U.S. because there's no checkpoint on that bridge or anything. So, And they also realize that since Gibb doesn't know where they are exactly, that it's sort of up to them to try and stop them. Which is kind of, it's kind of a cool moment just because it, he's sort of bringing her into his world. Like, I know you can help me do this. Let's do this. So it's sort of the beginning of this ending where she, they eventually become the Incredibles. It's, right. <laughs> it's <laughs> silly and stupid, but whatever. I mean, it's, it's fine. Do you it's think, fine. Do you think that in, in uh, True Lies 2 that uh, one of the scenes would have had Dana getting shot out of a cannon? <laughs> Something to think about. It would have been great. Best line in the whole film. It really is. <laughs> so Arnold kind of sneaks his way in and starts killing guys in this warehouse. And then and then finally somebody sees him and he starts shooting up the whole place and chaos erupts. And then he gets in trouble and Helen comes out with the Uzi and shoots a little bit and then loses control. And then we get this cringeworthy moment. It's just... Again, this is like 1994 sensibilities. Instead mm -hmm. of letting Helen be a badass, right. instead, all what does she do? She just fumbles the Uzi and it drops down the stairs. And as it flips over, it kills all the bad guys right. as it falls Only down the stairs. Only firing in the direction of the bad guys. It doesn't shoot her. Doesn't shoot her. Doesn't shoot Harry. It doesn't shoot anything that would like blow up a fuel tank or anything. It, and it only kills the bad not guys. Not shooting in a straight line. Mind Everywhere, you. wherever the bad guys Left, are. Left, right of the stairs, but yeah. By the way, that's not how guns work. <laughs> yeah, you can't just bounce a gun off the ground and, and have it discharge. No. <laughs> I mean, you you wouldn't want it to. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, then it's just it just erupts into an Arnold action movie moment where there's just shooting and jumping. And bang, 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 shoot, bang. Shoot, shoot. I mean, Harry takes the fuel truck pump and turns kinda it into cool turns it into a flamethrower it's kind of cool when impossible, he does impossible but cool right exactly unless you're pumping napalm into your gas tanks <laughs> so then aziz grabs a rocket launcher and shoots it at harry and then harry makes a jump into the water to which best scene i think that the cinematographer shot yeah was him underwater and while the, the fire is above him yeah absolutely so that was probably the one thing the camera let him say yeah you can handle this one Right, instead of muddying the waters, and <laughs> no pun intended. Um, <laughs> so after that happens, uh, Helen sort of assumes the worst, and she's sort of hiding behind this corner, and that's when Juno finds her and holds her to gunpoint, and they have that little 
I hate to say it, but it's they basically were like, let's make a little cat fight here. Uh-huh. You know, where they scratch her and whatever. So anyway, I'm, go- I'm not going to spend any time on it. Um, <laughs> so then they take her hostage and Aziz flies away in a helicopter and then Harry's left there alone. And then suddenly we cut to the next morning. The rescue team has found Harry at this point and they're in the helicopter and they're trying to catch Aziz's men who are driving the nukes across, kind of trying to head them off at that big long bridge. It's just so badass that they got real Harriers. It is. Because it's, it's like the coolest jet ever. It is the it's coolest It's a dog jet. to fly from what I understand, but it looks really cool It looks, well, you know, the fact that you, the, the jets that can come. Vertical takeoff and landing. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. It is. So then we get another bad moment. It's just, I mean, it's just silly where the bad guys use a rocket launcher and aim it the wrong way while they're inside the truck. They're trying to fire at the Harrier. And of course they fire it in the opposite direction. It kills like one of their guys. It's just, well, actually they fired the missile the right way, but the backblast from the launch. Is that what it tube, was? Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. The guy was standing too close. You can't fire those things. They have to have a place for the exhaust to come out. Oh, okay. and it was the exhaust that did the damage. Okay. Cause you, you see the Harrier avoid it. Yeah. Because it's not any kind of a, Heat-seeking missile, it's right? Just, they just it's a need to fire and forget type of deal, right? They just it's need just to line of sight. That that was actually kind of funny to me because you you see that a lot in those kind of movies, you know. Oh, but not show the blowback, right? Exactly. Right. So like the one that Aziz used, that's a Laws rocket, and that's just basically a teeny tiny little rocket. You don't want to stand right next to the tuber comes out, but that's not going to have the same effect as what they were using, which is basically an anti-air missile that's shoulder-mounted. Right. That's going to have a little impact because that missile's got to go a ways. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, they have that. And then, uh, so then the Harriers take out the bridge to stop the rest of this convoy. And then, meanwhile, they have to rescue Helen, who's inside this limo uh, that she's locked in there with Juno. And so they get into a fight and they're fighting with the gun and and suddenly the gun goes off and it shoots the driver. And of course, the driver falls over the wheel and his foot goes all the way down the gas. And now Uh we've got this runaway, which is so silly that it just goes on and on and on. Like it wouldn't just drive off one edge or the other of the road. Well, I think a couple of times it hit the rails. It does. But I was just I was just sort of like, is are the rails really going to hold it in place? Is, I, it, is his foot really going to stay on the gas the whole time? This is time? my biggest problem. When you die, your muscles don't get stronger. Right, right. You'd Everything let up. snaps back to its natural you position. You would let up on the gas, right. if anything. So yeah, so the car just keeps going and going and going. So they're fighting, and then Helen sort of gets the upper hand, and she goes through the sunroof, and she's looking for the gun that's up on the sunroof, and I think she gets pulled back down one more time. Anyway, she, she sort of fights off Juno, and she's outside looking up, and she sees the helicopters following, and she realizes that Harry is hanging out of the helicopter, like, ah, I'm coming to get you, you know, whatever. <laughs> so Harry's trying to tell her <laughs> that the bridge is out up ahead, and Helen can't hear anything that he's saying. And then she turns around, she sees it, and then she turns back around. She the bridge tries, is out! The bridge is out! She's trying to tell him that. And just, and of course, just in the nick of time. Come on, baby. Come on, grab, reach for my hand. Do it. Do it now! Do it now! Do it now! So, so she grabs his hand, and they get her out of the limo just as the limo plunges into the water. Which was pretty cool because it basically she gets pulled out as it falls down. Right. So it looks like it's falling down from her as she's getting pulled. You know. Yeah. Like she was the only thing holding that limo. And the great thing is, is that 
Jamie Lee Curtis did that stunt herself. Yep. On her birthday. Yep. And the reason she did it was because she was talking to James Cameron about it. And James Cameron, she said to James Cameron, she's like, well, where are you going to be? And he's like, well, I'm going to be out the door of this helicopter filming you. And she's like, okay, well, if you're doing that, then I'll do the stunt. And so they did the stunt. And it's pretty great because you get that honest reaction in her face. Honest reaction. You can tell it's not CGI. Right. Which so much of this movie is. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> digital domain gets called out on it. That's Stan Winston's company that uh, did all of the CGI stuff for Cameron's movies for a while. But the thing I loved about it, it that scene of her getting pulled out had that same kind of gravitas that Alan Rickman had in Die Hard when he falls. When he falls. Because it actually happened right because in die hard yeah they didn't tell him yeah they dropped him on two instead of three yeah and, and he was so, like holy shit <laughs> <laughs> but her reaction is so genuine she's all ah that she's all super excited when it's done so again a scene that would have been more belonging in a better movie than the right. one that it ended up a scene in. that's too good for this movie exactly so yeah they get back down to safe ground and suddenly out of nowhere we discover that Dana has been kidnapped by Aziz and his men, and they're now on top of some sort of tower with all the rest of his warheads. The warhead that's at that island is about to blow up, and then he's going to broadcast his video out to, I'm assuming, everything or whatever. So anyway, and then in the process, there's a camera crew, which... We all know that the camera crew is made up of Omega Sector agents. Of course. Or at least a few of them. So in the meantime, Arnold's like, ah, I've got to get Dana. So, so well, he... Well, let me, and I have, to, I have to stop here. This should have been the end of the movie. It really should have. It absolutely there should have sh- been. There could have been a... This is such the, the, the third ending, like the second or third ending. Right. It's like... The, when the nuke goes off and they're kissing and I love you and all this other stuff. That should have been the end. It should have. Why? Because you had to have Dana. Not that you could have written Dana in some other way. You could have, you have to have the end piece where Arnold meets the main bad guy and defeats the main bad guy. But James Cameron's like, Harriers? What? <laughs> the entire last action scene is just so James Cameron could build a mock-up of a fake Harrier. Oh, God. I hate it. And hilarity ensues. Which it did not. There was no hilarity that ensued at there was all. No in this, hilarity, other than Arnold trying to fly the Harrier. Right. Which I mean, he, he obviously was not flying that Harrier. Of course not. That was hilarious because Tom Arnold walking around going, "Oh no, he's got like thousands of hours." It's uh, like Saudi. Yeah, Saudi. That, that 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 is a that is a classic hat tasker move right there. <laughs> that part was great. Right. But it really should have been more him chasing after the helicopter, shooting the helicopter. I could think of 10 different ways to have shot this in half the time to make it more interesting and ending to get that hero meets the bad guy ending. It's almost right. like, well, he's got one other part of his family and I have a Harrier. So I have this budget that hasn't right. been completely used right. up yet. I got 20 more minutes. <laughs> That's basically what this amounts to. You know, you yeah. could have just not had the daughter, I suppose, in there at all and could have summed it up. But fatigue has set in at this point. You're ready for the ride to be over. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm just like, what? Really? What? We're doing this? Yeah. And off it goes. Yeah. I mean, like, honestly, even if he would have, even if Aziz would have been threatening something, just not having Dana 
as a hostage. Right. If Aziz was just doing something bad and he took off in the Harrier and then you just end it that way. You just end it. He goes off into the sunset to fight more stuff. Right. Or- Because it's that kind of movie. Absolutely. Or if you you absolutely have to have that gravitas, maybe the nuke, wherever the nuke is going, maybe you don't have the nuke that blows up on the island that they're on. Maybe the nuke is going to go somewhere that Dana is going to be. They're in Washington, D.C. We're going to blow up the Washington Monument. We're going to blow up this, that, and the other. And, oh, right. no. Isn't Dana on the tour with the school this time? <laughs> I got to go. Give me the plane. <laughs> you know? There are so many ways that you could have tightened this all together. You could have still had the romantic kiss with the nuke going off. Right. Because he's like, all right, they've got the nuke on the Harry. I'm putting on autopilot. Here I go. <laughs> and the, and it just dark night its way out there. It blows out on the Atlantic Ocean. Right. And they kiss and, and they hug and everyone is so credits. happy. And the movie's one, two, three, four. I de- okay, sorry. Not, we're not there yet. <laughs> Sadly, we're not there yet. Okay, so. Um, Dana's a hostage. So Aziz is doing his bit in front of the camera. Again. Again, which it, you guys already taped it once. Like, why yeah, the we- battery did run out. <laughs> so. So he's doing it again and he, during his whole monologue or whatever. He points back to the detonator. And he says, as soon as I turn this key and he looks back and he realizes that the key is gone. He's like, who has the key? Who took the key? And then, of course, it's Dana who took the key. So then this chase happens up on this big crane, you know, 30 stories up or whatever. Did you not have the same thing I did? It was like, I think this was better in James Bond. Way better in James Bond. <laughs> About a thousand times better. <laughs> So, so then, you know, honestly, it gets fuzzy here for me, but I just know that eventually Dana jumps onto the Harrier jet, on, onto the tip of the Harrier jet, because dad comes to save the day. Dana, Dana come down to me. Jump down. Jump down to me. <laughs> Dana's I'll like, catch you. And Dana's like, dad, what? <laughs> You're flying a Harrier jet. <laughs> she, she actually adopted that a lot faster than her mom did, I have to admit. Yeah, a little sharper, maybe. Maybe. <laughs> so then, of course, Aziz jumps onto the plane, and this three-way fight happens atop this plane. It's... I'm not even going to get into details because it's not even worth it. It's so bad. All you can say is is that this is a bonding moment for Arnold and Dana. Right. For, for, and that- for Harry and Dana. And the most ridiculously obvious way to get rid of a bad guy at the end of the movie, he gets strapped up onto a missile. Right. Shot through a building. Through a building and to hit the bad the guy. The guy on the other side. Right. That's a classic tasker. <laughs> <laughs> you know what you do? You have your daughter hold on for dear life onto the cockpit. Then you tilt the plane. And then that makes the bad guy fall onto the Oh, Harry meant to do that. That's a, that's a classic tasker. <laughs> Come on. And the CGI with that moment, too. is. And let's not forget the, uh, it's not necessarily a spy movie trope, but it's definitely a movie trope. The janitor cleaning the office that oh, the tail comes crashing through. Right. Do, 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 oh do, my do, goodness, do, do, what's happening? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the only, I think the only movie that I have not seen where something crashed into an office building where there wasn't a janitor was The Matrix. Which is better. It's much better. Because then it's not cliche. Then no. it's just, no, it's an empty <laughs> fucking room. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so... <laughs> So the bad guys die, and then it just then it becomes the Incredibles because then 
you see them back at home and they're they're having fun. One, two, three, four. I declare them Oh my god. I sent I sent Ben a gif of that earlier this week. <laughs> so bad. His eyes just I know his, his <laughs> eyes are just this wild-eyed laugh just what? <laughs> I love cocaine. <laughs> it's excellent. I love this is amazing. <laughs> So then the phone rings. So then the phone rings and Helen picks it up. It's like, oh, we're up, honey. Well, and you get the lighting across the eyes. Right. Right. Boris and Doris. (laughs) (laughs) So then they spring into action at another fancy event. And then they're, this time they're tangoing together. And then you see Simon. As a waiter. As a waiter trying to do his same tactics on some girl there. And then he bumps into Helen and. Harry and he pees himself again. Right. <laughs> well, and I mean, so this is like the homologation. Now she's a badass. He's a badass. Right. He's They're working the room. Together. She's working the room. And now he's tangling with his wife, who he should have always been tangling with right. in the first place. And happy ending. Who's watching Dana? She's 14. <laughs> They're just leaving her at home. You're going to have two secret agents in a family with a small child and nobody's watching her? Plus, is Gib watching her? <laughs> no, he was there. Oh, that's right. He was in the no. He was in the van. He was in the van. He's he the man like, in the van. He was like, guys, why are you tangoing again? Stop well, wasting whole, time. That's the whole fade out. Yeah. He's like, I think next time I need to be the one in here doing the tango. You guys can be in the van. <laughs> but where's Dana? Where's Dana? Where's Dana? <laughs> Dana, we have to go on the mission. You have to be a good girl. <laughs> True lies too. Where's Dana? <laughs> they find her and she's wearing like a white and red striped shirt and a little beanie on her head (laughs) ben can we be done with this movie we are so done with this movie the end i'm just gonna give a couple quick final thoughts please is this a comedy movie or a spy movie no or an action movie no who knows none of the above it's kind of fun kind of most of it's cringeworthy there are some there are a couple gems of moments here and there yeah, in this there movie. Are. You have to acknowledge that every once in a while, there are a couple really great scenes, but for the most part, it's just tragically bad acting from Arnie and Tom Arnold. And the dog scene still pisses me yes. off. <laughs> um, it's, it's just such an Americanized hot dog, popcorn, spy movie, if you can even call it that, after the first 30 minutes. Very Arnold, just... This is like, and I wrote this down a long, like very early on after I watched the first one. This is like getting Chinese food in the suburbs. You know it's not Chinese. You know it's barely food for that matter, but there's party that still kind of likes it anyway. <laughs> That's kind of where I'm at with this movie, even though I know it's terrible. So, uh, yeah, you know, I'm right there with you. You know, it occurred to me on my first rewatch of this that this movie is 25 years old. 25 years old. Okay. Just depresses me. Just, yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, you know, this is a movie I've probably watched 15 times in 25 years. Right. Every time I watch it, I love this movie. It's so great. <laughs> and this is this is what the pitfall of doing a podcast like this is when you start looking at stuff critically, mm-hmm. a lot of it starts to fade away in your brain. And you're like, right. this is total shit. Well, 
But let's remember that sometimes total shit can be a lot of fun to watch. I think we could uh, kind of came to that with The Man from Uncle, to be yeah, honest with you. Absolutely. I will, I will watch The Man from Uncle again. I don't know that I'll ever watch Total Recall again. Or not Total Recall, but True Lies. Sorry. I will definitely watch Total Recall again because it's a <laughs> way better movie than this. It is. Yeah. Um, but I don't think I ever have to watch True Lies again. I, it's just, it's ruined for me now. <laughs> Unless they came out with like a, a director's cut that, Lopped off 40 minutes of this film, which, by the way, was over two hours. Yeah, it was really long for what it was. For what it was. I would love for them to lop off about three quarters of what was in the middle of it and extend that damn scene so I know why that existed. Right. (laughs) I would like for them to not even show this movie ever again and remake it with somebody who actually wanted to write the movie. Yeah. And actually wanted to direct the movie and actually wanted to make a movie that was worth watching. That's what I would like to see. The first time I watched it for the podcast, I did enjoy it, mainly because of Tom Arnold and mainly because of the first 30 minutes. But now that I've seen it twice, I'm like, okay, that was fun. I don't think I ever need to see it again. That's, That's where I'm at. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. All right. So that is that. Join us next time on Central Intelligence Cinema for a review. We're going back to Bond, baby. We're going to do The Living Daylights. Timothy Dalton style. I'm excited. Maybe. Yep. And with that, I'm Ben. And I'm Jason. And the CIC will return with more missions, more martinis, and more mayhem.